0: A million great ideas die instantly every day because they lack a plan or funding or you name it. We need more conversations about the soul inside the idea. The wind blows
1: warm at a quarter to five The sky's still dark but my mind's alive You live beside me dreaming of the sea At least that's what
0: it looks like to me I'm Mark Ackler At this stage in my life and career, the guiding principles I use are joyful innovation, building community, teaching and practicing empathy. Welcome to The Real Work, presented by UBS, a show that gets to the heart and soul of building the pathways to making something, well, real. The voices you'll hear here are humble and honest, self-critical and strong. Like Peter Himmelman, a ridiculously gifted singer-songwriter who has created a team-building consulting business called Big Muse.
1: When is the last time that you cried for something beautiful? This isn't about math. This isn't about science, which are very important things. This is about essential self, something that's often disregarded in businesses.
0: In this episode how the power of music can be used to build high-functioning, high-trust teams. I'm Mark Ackler. Let's get to the real work.
1: Well, Mark, wherever I was at before, which is not a low level, it's much higher right now. That's all I can tell you. But I've become, over the last several years, uh, last two or three years, a grandfather, twice. And that's a big, uh, that's a big step. That's a big threshold to have crossed over.
0: I could see the joy emanating from you. Like, what's it like?
1: I used to ask people that, or you'd hear people say in a kind of a glib way, oh, I mean, it's great being a grandparent. You just, when you get done with the kid, you throw it off to your, you know, child, you know, the the parent of that kid. But in a more serious way, because there is a glimmer of, of meaning in, in that sort of, you know, Jocular description of grandparenthood, but it really is that the love that you have for this child, this grandchild, is no longer circumscribed by intense responsibility. You know, in a certain way, I always wonder well, grandparenthood, the child must be somehow subordinate in, in your feelings toward it than your actual children but it's not true. They they occupy a, a very similar space, but this space doesn't include worrying about their every detail. So the love is just boundless in that sense.
0: Oh, sweetness. And I'm, I'm so happy for you and your family. Hey, tell us a little bit about that picture behind you. Cause I, I have a copy of that at home and it's one of my all time favorite pictures.
1: Well, you know, I, I do a lot of art. This was just something that I, I uh, hung up on the wall there. I was, must have been thinking about uh, Basquiat at the time. I was trying to mirror him, his work. And uh, I, I put out a record. I don't remember exactly when I was probably about 2009. And this is when you had CDs. And I, I inserted a small lithograph of that painting in there. And that brings, you know, maybe to another subject about tangibility versus everything being in a digital sphere, the value of tangibility, which is now gone. I mean, I'm thinking very specifically as a musician and once having made record albums, which, which were, you know, a tangible item that created context for the work.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: And even a CD to a lesser extent, we all mourn the idea that CDs were now so small. And now that's completely obliterated. And there is no scarcity of music any longer, which makes music in some sense a little less valuable, a little less sacred, a little less uh, worthy of a ritualistic behavior, which would be to cease all other endeavors and simply listen to the music. Now it's just an adjunct to whatever it is we're working out. Or it's also very isolating now. Even these iPods are representative of that isolation. We used to listen to music in uh, community. For sure. I'm talking about recorded music. Yeah, of course. That's no longer the case. And also consuming, let's say, an album, which doesn't mean vinyl, it means a collection of things.
0: In in a story form.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, what did this artist say through these 10 or 11 songs? Now it's pick and choose. It's just kind of a little bit of the dissembling of my business, of my sort of work. Well,
0: that's actually a great way to start this conversation, around the concept of reinvention. You just highlighted As you've gone through your career, you've had to, I wouldn't say reinvent yourself, but you've had to adapt to the changing conditions out there. So can you talk a little bit about that going from, you know, (laughs) through the course of your journey, how you've, because you've made some pretty fundamental changes and have adapted to the realities out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would maybe be important for me to to say that they weren't changes per se, although I did change. but it's almost like uh, metamorphosing. You know it's growing new appendages, let's say. You didn't lose sight of what was original. You didn't you didn't change. It was more of an addition. I just like to to say that because a lot of people have asked well you know when did you make this change and i want to to kind of parse what that word really means it wasn't a change it was taking a skill that i had which was music and performance and as you said you used the word adapting adapting it to another purpose another potential audience so around 2011 i had for kids that were lined up to go to private schools the music business we thought it had tanked then but now it possibly reached the nadir in terms of remuneration so i needed to find another source of revenue and i and i've been scoring a lot of film and television that was something that was was really great for me i was getting you know tired of working in isolation for six days a week 12 13 hours a day And I thought to myself, and this may be something that everyone who's looking to metamorphose, let's say, could think about, well, what is it that I learned in a bus, in a band, on a stage, working uh, in collaboration with other musicians, working under the gun as as a music composer for television and film? What were those pressures like? How would that seemingly disparate idea translate to business, something that I knew very little about. I mean, I didn't know what the word ROI meant. I never heard of VC. I, and, and that was somehow one of the fears that I had. Well, if I dive into this, what's going to be, you know, the language that I use? It turns out that the language was nothing to think about. It wasn't any problem at all. It was you as a matter of fact, you Mark Ackler had so much to do with the instigation and the success of this metamorphosing that I did. I brought this idea to you at this this convening that we had done it was called uh what do they call it again?
0: Corkin's in Corkin's Exchange, yeah.
1: Corkin's Exchange, where these various people would meet in beautiful bucolic setting and northern New Mexico, Chama, New Mexico, each with an understanding that they would be there to ask for help in some idea that they wanted to explore or, or manifest, whether personal or business. And they would also be there to help others with their different skill sets and areas of expertise. So when I brought this idea up to you, which it became this company that I started called Big Muse, which really, to put it as as succinctly as possible, it allows people in companies, leaders and their their employees to push aside their sense of self judgment for periods of time, because it can never fully be, you know, pushed away. And in so doing, get to something essential about their creative self their ability to to speak powerfully about what they believe to be more in touch with their values to be much less hindered and fettered by well i don't know if this art is good enough i don't think i'll ever put it out I, you know all these kind of things that constrain us and i use music as a as a metaphor i come with different musicians and I have people write songs um, about perhaps envisioning the future or, or issues that might arise that are much more easily discussed through the metaphor of song than they are face-to-face or at least an icebreaker for this. And you told me what I think you should do, because I'm an adjunct professor at Northwestern at Kellogg, you said, is, is do a session for my class in the hopes that you will be invited to this Kin Kellogg Innovation Network <laughs> Global Seminar. And, and I was invited to both those yeah. things. It was successful. And from there, a person who'd never gone to college for one minute was awarded a fellowship to study. And what I learned there was that most of the things that they were teaching were things that I did learn on the road. Collaboration, creativity fearlessness leadership that's right i didn't know a lot about economics i can tell you that much but it gave me a lot of confidence that i had even though i was a musician that i had a lot to say from this other plane which is a very good way to learn when you see two things that are seemingly opposite but actually become connected it's a great way to learn a lot of things you know, took place as a result of, of what you told me, a simple sentence that a person says can really change somebody's life. And there's there's a proof of that.
0: My conversation with Peter Himmelman continues in a minute. I'm really proud to partner with UBS again, this time on The Real Work Podcast. It's a rich relationship that began with sharing the story of the book I co-wrote with Merita Sherry called Exit Right. In writing the book, we wanted to help entrepreneurs to be more intentional about their legacy, especially when it comes to selling their business. Exit Right teaches where deals get into trouble, how to create alignment between negotiating parties, and what terms of a deal you should care about most. As a leading global wealth manager, UBS knows how to work with entrepreneurs and business owners at all stages of their journey and legacy. Their purpose statement is reimagining the power of investing, connecting people for a better world. That gets to the heart of what drives me every day empathy matters. Let's face it, starting and growing a business is hard. It's why UBS reminds their clients to begin with the end in mind to learn more and find an advisor near you go to ubs.com businessservices business services ubs.com slash business services ubs financial services inc is a subsidiary of ubs group ag member finra sipc a little bit more about Big Muse. For for the people in the audience who aren't familiar with it, what exactly is Big Muse? What are you doing and how can they get in contact with you? How can can they find you?
1: You can go to the website and there's a contact. It's www.bigmuse.com. That's easy. We work with a lot of companies in Chicago. Recently, I did uh, something for the George Clooney Organization for Justice, for example. They are uh, a group of highly trained, some renowned attorneys, people of, you know, legalists that go to countries who are, you know, perhaps third world countries that don't have a very good track record of fair or legal jurisprudence. And they go to, to observe and see that the that there's not summary executions on on one side, so that they can get more credibility with countries with whom they want to align with. So their issue was people were spread out all over the globe. That's just the nature of how they work, and it was an online sort of situation. A lot of the people had not met one another before, and they wanted to bring the group together and sort of create a sense of trust. So. The first question I'll sometimes ask is, when is the last time you cried for something beautiful? And talk about aligning values. This is talking about getting to the essence of, of who we are as human beings. And sometimes there's a little hesitation. Wait, can you repeat that again? Yeah. What, what is the, when is the last time you cried. that you cried for something beautiful? love that. This idea of, well, what is it that moves you as a person? This isn't about math. This isn't about science, which are very important things. This is about essential self, something that's often disregarded in businesses too often. And I remember doing a thing, as I mentioned, for this George Clooney Foundation for Justice, where the groups were going to now invent a product or service they would instantly do it i've given them five minutes i'm always like nothing like the clock to to put pressure on you and it's going to serve humanity just as you are serving humanity with this foundation but in a sort of a third grader sense which makes it playful and people can bring their self to to play I'm a lot funnier in these sessions than I'm being right now, by the way. So, but, <laughs> You know, no. you will have complete freedom to create here. And what does that mean? Well, the laws of gravity no longer apply. Uh, time, space, physics, money. You could have a trillion dollars at the snap of a finger. And they came up, as many people do when I do these sessions, with the most beautiful things empathy shoes the dark star transport system where you can if you're far away from your family you can instantly beam back you know for dinner with them one one really funny person at a chicago company came up with this one i forget the name of it if you're on a bad date you have an app you press the button discreetly and police come and arrest you and carry you away So the people then would write lyrics to the theme song, you know, and I would perform the theme song. So you go through this whole process, which culminates in, if it's live, it's a rock concert. If it's online, it's this jubilant thing. I'm playing the guitar. But the songs are created by the people. And it sounds like kind of, well, that's kind of a fun entertainment. It's not just entertaining. It's crystallizing, bringing to life and experientially feeling all the things that we've been talking about. It's this incredible bonding experience for companies. And, and also whatever their values are, as long as I value them, I can insert them into the session.
0: You know, one of the things that I learned from you is that that creative collaboration can build trust. Can build deeper personal connections, can endow people with the benefit of the doubt and the power of the benefit of the doubt in a business context, in any interpersonal relationship. And, you know, just the, getting to the essence of people's soul of wanting to be heard, wanting to be understood, wanting to be trusted. You know, I think bringing the, what you've been able to do is bring the the creative arts into a business context, but do it in a way that's, that helps foster deeper, more connected, more trusted relationships. It's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that you're getting to the heart of sort of the, if there were to call it the value proposition of what I do. Yeah. This has also been explored by uh Medill's strategic marketing. They did a whole quarter on Big Muse. Oh. Creativity, which to me is a very amorphous, almost unuseful word at this stage. It's, it's, it's a word that needs so much defining, but it's so oft used. What they determined the value was was the perhaps the key fundamental to creativity, which was developing trust. yeah Trust between the people that you're collaborating with, trust in oneself. When you have that, that is the way to dissipate and to kind of discourage this fearful voice from acting upon you. And it's almost a magical formula that we have, you know, my, the musicians that I work with, to develop that trust in a, very, in a very rapid amount of time. I
0: have an investment thesis as an investor around trust, and I gave a talk on the inevitable economics of trust and that what, what most companies don't understand is trust is the lubrication. You can have it on a one-to-one basis, also between companies and their customers and their key stakeholders trust is the lubrication we all mess up like everybody makes mistakes at an individual level at a corporate level but trust is the lubrication and the gives you the benefit of the doubt that allows for those relationships to stay intact even when we mess up right And so there's there's the positive and the negative, the positive of unleashing the what might we do, however you define that as creativity, Mm -hmm. and there's also the enforcing of and strengthening of relationships.
1: Right. Those two run and can run. They don't often run in parallel, but they can, and they're you know, that's what's necessary. Yeah. You know, that you are in business as you are in, in music to progress. Stasis is akin to you know a death. You, you need to keep moving, you need to adapt. And in adaptation, I don't even look at it as messing up or failure. You're going to experience uh, things that you hadn't foreseen, let's put it that way. Things will not work out as you had planned. But without trust, there isn't a flexibility or a free momentum to move ahead with any speed. You're, you're working out this this relational stuff. Yeah. When you have trust, and we can kind of talk maybe a bit about how trust is best engendered, but as you said, it's lubricated. It's like an engine, and it moves forward. Everything has to keep progressing and moving forward.
0: Moving on from trust for a second, I want to ask all the uh, the guests a couple of questions. so here here's one question for you. When you wake up in the morning, what makes you smile?
1: Well, when I wake up, I, I'm a very traditional person, even though I'm very freewheeling. I'm very traditionally grounded. So the first moment it's a very delicate moment. So you're sort of asleep and maybe you're kind of waking up or you're not quite there. And then you, you realize that you've woken up. So I intone a 2,700 year old prayer, which basically says, thank you for restoring my soul within me. Thank you for giving me another day of life. And at that moment, I reflect on things that make me happy and m- make me grateful, such as I can move my hands. I can breathe. It's raining outside right now. I'm protected from the rain. The simplest things. And those things said right at that moment, because it sounds sort of like a Hallmark card. No, no. I'm talking about something that it's, is extremely efficacious In everything we're talking about right now in terms of moving ahead, you're setting the template, just like you'd set a tempo for your song for the day. It starts out in a positive way because we're very vulnerable now, all of us. Yeah. We're bombarded with negative messaging. It takes an incredible intellectual brain power and will to stay purified from all these things. We we have to stay knowledgeable about what's happening, but we have to do it in such a way that we're protected as we encounter these things. And that's how I always wake up that way.
0: That's amazing. Can, can you say the prayer? I'd love to hear it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can. I mean, it's in Hebrew, so I'll say it. I thank you as I, you know, am before you Melechai V'kayam, the Eternal and Living King, capital K. Yeah. Shechazarta b'nishmasi b'chemla raba emunatecha, that the soul you've implanted in me will have faith and be eternal. Modeh ani lefanecha, melechai v'kayam, shechazarta b'nishmasi b'chemla raba emunatecha.
0: You know, that's a beautiful way to start every day.
1: Yeah, we taught that to our children since they were like two years old.
0: Well, it also starts your day.
1: And anyone can say it.
0: Yeah, with, with, not, with a little bit of grace and a little bit of humility, too, yeah. which is realizing you're part of something greater. We, I have, we have a saying, which is bring your whole self to something larger than yourself, right?
1: It's a very good intention because, I mean, I think it's innate for a person to feel that he or she is the center of the world. You know, if I'm feeling pain, it's my pain. If I'm feeling joy, it's my joy. If I'm feeling anxiety, everything is belonging to me. Everything in our physical, our psychological and physical makeup is telling us that we are central to the world. And perhaps in some ways we are, just as you said to me that one sentence, which changed our life. But on the other hand, we're tiny, tiny microcosmic player in the world. And it's those two things we have to keep in mind. We do have powers, we do have an effect on the world, but at the same time, if it isn't steeped in humility, as you say, it becomes disastrous.
0: Yeah, yeah, a little humility goes a long way.
1: Just a tiny bit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just a well, you you gotta have you know, you gotta have some juices
1: flowing. Yeah, you gotta get hey, keep them going.
0: Yeah. The other question I wanted to ask is, if you could say one word that sort of represents the core of who you are, like the spirit of you, what, what would what would be that one word that would describe you?
1: Adventurous. Oh, love it,
0: love it. Why? Why adventurous?
1: Well. I think that I'm restless. I find myself most happy when I'm exploring new things, whether it's new ideas, new people, new foods. Um, And this leads maybe into a discussion about diversity, which is something I always like to talk about, um, if that's something on your agenda.
0: Sure, please.
1: You know, the people that I talk to in business and music They're of all faiths and creeds and colors. I mean, I have a very diverse group of friends. And it occurs to me that, like many things, like the word creativity, it's become a a trope. And we all say it and talk about it, but we're not really parsing exactly what it means. We, 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 We handle the word because we can do commerce with it. Even the word trust, which we kind of looked at. And the word diversity has been set up in such a way that it's missing the full range of its intention, which means a diversity of opinions from wherever they come from. Now, as a, an offshoot of what you did for me, uh, getting me this fellowship at Kellogg, a good friend of mine, Holly Rader, whom my door, was the professor of this executive education course. And she said to me one day when the course was ending, she said, would you like me to nominate you for the National Security Seminar at the United States War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania? Now I'm a bit of a Civil War buff, so I, I knew a bit about the college. And I, I said to her, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> and it was at the War College that I really got this thing drummed into me. Now, the, the War College, for people don't know, been around since before the civil war it's where colonels go to become generals and and or ship admirals if you're in the navy it's people in their mid 50s who have you know led troops of by the thousands so they're very senior many of them have phd's and masters and the commandant of the base of the school who was himself a general kept drumming into people, that cognitive myopia, this idea that we are only listening to the things that we already believe, we're already only friends with people who share those beliefs, that we're reading the same books that reinforce our beliefs, is a national security issue, not just sort of a small problem. This was five years ago, and now we see it evinced in, in you know, January 6th and the incredible polarization. What he said, it, it stuck with me so well. And this is, I think, getting to the essence of the term diversity. I need you students. And we were there as a musician and there was a, a writer, a congressman. We were there to challenge the students who have military mindsets to challenge their beliefs to counter that cognitive myopia. The commandant says, I want you to all have on your nightstands a book and you need to read that book, a book which with you vociferously disagree, that has premises that you don't believe, that you don't agree with, so that you will have this diversity. If you listen to the right of the dial, go to the left of the dial on your radio, have a diversity of opinions So you'll know what the world is tasting like and what it's like. That's a huge point that was made to me. When I think about the way many businesses, the way diversity is talked about, even in Hollywood, for example, it's itself a myopic slice of diversity. It means a diversity of opinions from whenever and wherever they come from.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more and understanding the different points of view and perspectives actually allows you to focus on commonalities as well. So shared values. Like we might agree that we would like there to be less crime as a shared value. Right. How we get there We might disagree with about how we get to less crime, but a shared value and having different voices at the table, different perspectives, understanding those perspectives will allow us collectively to see the commonalities of shared values.
1: An inescapable metaphor, and I apologize, it's so, you know, music-centric, but imagine the orchestra only had timpani. Yeah, or I've... only had cellos which could be a nice sound but right. what makes the sound beautiful is the differences in these sounds and it makes a nation stronger that's one of the reasons the United States is so powerful Yeah, the immigrants that we have brought in that have come and become Americans every bit of this difference this collective makes the whole that much stronger <laughs> I couldn't agree more. We we are, we are. Let's find something we disagree with. You now. are speaking wise words of wisdom. We need to just disagree here. We need to fight it out. <laughs> the wind blows warm at a quarter to five. The sky's still dark, but my mind's alive. You lay beside me, dreaming of the sea. At least that's what it looks like to me. That's what it looks like to me That's what it looks like
0: to me Hey, yeah. That's our show. If you like what you heard, spread the word across your social channels. The Real Work, presented by UBS, is a noteworthy original podcast. The executive producer is Kristen Tews. Our show is produced by Todd Manley and the theme music was created by my dear friend, the great Peter Himmelman. I'm Mark Eckler. Thanks for listening.